We're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 3 and 1. As you're turning there, why don't we take a moment to welcome the presence of the Lord into this place today. Let's lift our hands. Uh, let's lift our voices and ask Him to be with us in this room. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness, your love, your power. We need you, Lord, in this house today. We need your presence, Lord. I focus my mind on you. I open my heart to receive the word of God. I open my mind, God. Uh, implant into me, Lord, that word today. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to obey it, Lord. Uh, it is for me. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm not going to try to get away from it, Lord. But my mind is ready for your word. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Second Timothy chapter three and verse one, reading from the New Living Translation today, it says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Of course, we've heard this portion of scripture before. But he goes on to say, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. It's a cheerful verse for a Sunday morning. Paul is, of course, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Uh, we, we understand and we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture is not just given to us for inspiration, but it's given to us for instruction, for correction. Even when we don't want to hear it, and even when it stings, it's still profitable for us. Paul is, of course, then, he's, he's speaking, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but I believe Paul is also referencing things that he's read and things that he's probably memorized from the Old Testament. And one such portion of Scripture is found in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11. And these are the four verses we're going to focus on this morning. Proverbs 30 and 11, the writer says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And in your attention and in your hearing for the next few moments this morning, I teach on this generation, this generation. The first one mentioned in Proverbs chapter 30 
and verse 11 is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. This generation stands in direct opposition to clear scriptural precedent and commandment for it was one of the ten commandments that God intended his people's lives to be guided by the moral nature of God. It was a commandment handed to us. Uh, God's finger itself wrote it in tablets of stone. And he said in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother, that their days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It translates all the way over into the New Testament. Paul, again, writing under the influence of the Holy Ghost, records in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He repeats then that commandment out of the Ten Commandments. He says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long in the earth. Our society has largely put to death the concept of honor and respect. It is collateral damage of the destruction of the nuclear family. Absent fathers and rampant divorce and homes that are broken and, and separated by sin. And they're separated by our, our dis decline away from standing upon the word of God. We have defaulted into a culture of disrespect, particularly for authority figures. We, we think nothing of speaking out against those who are in positions of authority. If you need any sort of, of example of this, think of the last time that you saw somebody interact with a, a, a police officer or a law enforcement officer, or you saw somebody interact with a school teacher or a school principal. I cannot imagine being an educator in today's world. The level of disrespect that flows and the, the portrayal of parents in popular culture is one of a bumbling fool. Teenagers and even young children are undoubtedly smarter than their parents. They're portrayed as having greater wisdom and greater understanding than their parents. We live in a culture of disrespect and this is primarily a heart issue. Honor and respect flows from the heart. Otherwise, it is only skin deep and we are nothing better than whitewashed tombs. It must be a life service and not a lip service. You, you can speak honor, but your actions can portray something else. You can say the right things to the person that might be in authority. You can, as a child, say the right things to your parents. But if it's not flowing from a pure attitude and a pure heart, then we are only giving Lip service. Imagine, if you will, our modern sensibilities pressed into a biblical context. 18 year old Isaac leaving Abraham's home because, bless God, I'm an adult now. I'm going to do what I want. And dad, you, you drug me up Mount Moriah just a few years ago, anyways, and you, you tried to sacrifice me, dad. Forget this, I'm out of your house. Imagine David 
refusing his father's request to deliver bread and cheese to the army. David is a a prime example, both of honor and dishonor, of respect and disrespect. He honors his father. When Samuel comes to the house, they don't even bother to call David to this sacrifice. And Samuel has to ask Jesse directly, do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, we've got that other kid. We left him out in the pasture, though. He was anointed king in front of his father and in front of his brothers. But where does David end up probably that very night back in the pasture? David honors Saul, his leader that is, is, is completely away from God. He's slid away from the commandments of God. He has an evil spirit upon him. He has tried to execute David and yet David refuses to speak evil against Saul. There's a culture of respect. There's a heart of honor that's flowing through David. Now, David also dishonors his fighting man. He dishonors Bathsheba. He dishonors the people of Israel, and he dishonors God by committing some grievous sins and grievous things. But there's a heart of honor inside of David. You'll notice that the commandment doesn't say honor If they deserve it. It doesn't say honor if they're good to you and they treat you right and they and you know, they were a good parent. It's going to get sticky in here. It says honor. Not optional. Not not man. If they bought you that new car, they put money into your college account. They never spanked you too hard. They bought you the treats you wanted. They took you to McDonald's to get a happy meal. No, it says to honor thy mother and father. The word honor is kabed. It means to be heavy, to make weighty, to be chargeable. Now, certainly each of us in our lives should strive to be honorable. You should be doing everything you can to live a life that is worthy of honor, a life that is worthy of respect, a life that your children can look up to, a life that your children can desire to emulate. You should be living a life where somebody in this church could look at their brother and say, you know what? I really honor them. I respect them. I want to be like Brendan. I, I want to be like Bishop. I want to be like Dave. I want to live a life that is honorable. Now, unfortunately, situations abound where Parents have been abusive or leadership has been destructive or people have been human. They have been far less than perfect. Does this excuse us? Does this set us free from God's commandment? And just because I was mistreated, does that allow me? No, uh, we are to honor them as unto the Lord. Uh, I am to honor them. uh, And I thank God for godly parents that were good uh, and holy and striving to live in a lifestyle of godliness and righteousness in a challenging world. I I thank God for parents like that. uh, But I still, whether they were good or whether they were not, I'm still required by God to give them honor and to give them respect. Respect for the commandment releases promise. He said that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. God's favor 
is attached to the fulfillment of this promise. God's favor is attached to honor. As you are honoring somebody else, even if it's difficult, uh, you're doing it as unto the Lord and not unto them. uh, And God sees that and favors that. How do you think David, uh, when Saul's within his grasp and all of his men are saying, kill him, kill him. Now's the time. uh, And David says, no, I'm not going to put forth my hand to the Lord's anointed. There was a clear instance of poor leadership, a clear instance uh, of a of a destructive situation. And yet David honors the position uh, that he's in and he refuses to stretch forth his hand. David doesn't even speak ill against Saul. He speaks life over Saul. He speaks joy over Saul. I'm not telling somebody today that you need to stay in an abusive situation and that you shouldn't form boundaries in your life. But be careful what attitudes flow out of your mouth. Uh, Be careful what thoughts you allow to fill your heart about your mother and your father. Be careful what thoughts uh, begin to flow out of the abundance of your heart into leadership or into your boss at work or your co-workers. See, if you're constantly denigrating your parents in front of your kids, why would you be surprised when your kids begin to tear you down? They are just doing what they've witnessed. If they've never seen honor in a difficult circumstance, then the first time you mess up and fail, don't be surprised if dishonor comes your way. See, God didn't wait until you were honorable He died for you when you were a sinner, when you were a mess, when you were a wreck. Uh, He died for me when I was uh, dishonorable, when I was not somebody worthy of respect and honor. And yet he saw the treasure down inside of me and he bestowed upon me such blessing uh, and honor and love and kindness. He saw that there was a treasure down inside hidden underneath the dirt uh, and the disgusting in the mess and God uh, gave me honor long before it was ever due. I'm not saying today that I'm somehow due honor from God. Uh, I'm just saying he was our example in honoring. There's a generation that curses their father. They do not bless their mother. Peter takes it a little more broadly. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, he says this, honor All men, not the good ones, not the nice ones, not the ones that bless you, all of them. There's favor attached to it. There's a promise attached to it. He goes on, he says, love the brotherhood. Fear God. We can we could be happy about those ones. Yeah, I love the brotherhood. Let's let's fear God. I want to honor all men. And then he goes even further and says, honor The king. Uh Uh-oh. Now, we don't live in a kingdom. We are supposed to live in a representative constitutional republic. But there's somebody that's positioned by God in a place of authority. And there's a blessing attached when honor flows out of our mouth. 
And sometimes it's easier when it's somebody we like. And sometimes it's harder when it's somebody we don't like. Uh, But we as the people of God have to look at a commandment in scripture like that and say, okay, God told me to honor the king. Who was the king when this was written? Nero. Who is burning Christians at the stake? According to to history, outside of uh, extra biblical history, Nero had these things called Nero's torches. They would dip Christians in tar, put them on poles and light them on fire. And he would ride his chariot through the garden as there's burning human pyres. And still the writer says, honor the king. Why? Because respect for authority is a heart issue. It has always been a heart issue. It has always been uh, on the mind of God for honor and respect to flow out of the tongue uh, of his people. Peter goes on and says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. Anybody don't raise your hand. Every, anybody ever had a boss at work you did not like? Mm. Anybody currently have a boss at work you don't like? I'm my own boss. And sometimes I don't like myself. But he says, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not just the ones that are good, but also to the forward. Be careful in your work environment when everybody else is denigrating authority and everybody else is tearing down authority. You let life come out of your tongue because there's a generation that does not respect their father or their mother. They don't honor their parents. They don't honor authority. Peter says, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience and toward God endure grief, suffering long, wrongly. What glory is it if you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable unto God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, and we'll move on to another portion of Proverbs in just a moment. But Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, reading from the ESV, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And watch this. Outdo one another in showing honor. My primary concern should not be Am I getting the honor that I feel like I deserve? My primary concern should be nobody else is going to outdo me in showing honor to the brethren. It's almost a language of of competition. If you want to compare yourself, uh, compare yourself only in this context. Am I outdoing my brother in showing them honor? Am I willing to receive honor but not return? Do I desire recognition? Do I desire everybody to pat me on the back, but I never give recognition and I never pat somebody on the back? Do I want everybody to talk about how awesome and how good I am, but I never speak about how good somebody else is and my words never build up and my words never edify and my words never demonstrate and show to somebody that I am in in a, a place of deference to them? Outdo one another in showing honor. Number two, there is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, yet not washed from their filthiness. We live in an era of gray. 
There is a disdain for black and white, a disdain for the absolutes, a disdain uh, for anybody that tries to take a stand, whether religious or not, whether a stand on things like the Constitution or a stand on the word of God. Like the children of Israel in the book of Judges, we now live in a time frame where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. You've heard perhaps the statement, I'm just, this is, this is my truth. I'm just living my truth or, oh, you, well, yes, they're speaking their truth. This is antithetical to the kingdom of God. There is not my truth and your truth. There is only the truth. Truth is objective. Truth is not subjective. It is not open to opinion. There is truth to be found. There is truth to be gained. There is truth to be learned. And I might have my perception of truth, but even my own perception and your own perception, if it does not align with an objective standard, then it is just that. It is only mine and it only has the value to me. This is not a new spirit, because that's what it is. It is a spirit that confronts a a truth-speaking attitude. It is a spirit that stands in opposition to it. It is running rampant in this world today. But Pilate scoffs to Jesus, uh, the embodiment of truth standing in front of him. uh, The one who was made flesh and blood, and he was full of grace and truth. Pilate looks truth in the face and says to Jesus in the Gospel of John, What is truth? Just chapters before, in John chapter 14, Jesus had proclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. See, our moving target of truth has attempted to uncouple morality from any definition or standard. Good Good and right are now designed or defined, rather, by society's whims, by the popular opinion of any people on any given day. We, we decide very quickly in our culture by how fast the Twitter mob forms or how, how loud the mob outside is, is what defines morality and truth. When morality is discussed, it's to cherry pick the worst of humanity as the lens of comparison. We we look at the worst examples and say, well, at least I'm not killing anybody. As if somehow us leaving off the sin of murder excuses those things we've done that are displeasing and not right. It, it does not excuse us from an unholy lifestyle just because uh, we have not committed those things that society deems more reprehensible than others. The Bible tells us that there is a lake that burneth with fire and even liars will find uh, their place in that lake. Uh, It seems like such a small thing. It seems like something so excusable. Uh, Yes, I told a lie, uh, but I didn't go in and shoot up a bank or a a kindergarten classroom. And so I must be good. I must be right. Uh, But if you uncouple morality from uh, any defined standard, if you uncouple goodness and righteousness from... uh, Anything that is concrete, we allow and excuse anything that we want. Eventually, we reach a place where a conscience is seared uh, and 50% of a country is advocating for the slaughter uh, of the unborn. uh, And there are companies paying for people to travel across state lines just so they can have what they deem a right. 
We call conviction and a guilty conscience instead anxiety and depression. And we seek to meditate or medicate it away. Like our great grandfather, Adam, when God comes to him and says, Adam, what have you done? Adam, you'll notice he says the woman that you gave me. Now, what what husband hasn't been in that place in their life? The woman that you gave me. But Adam does what is so common to the human condition to do. You'll notice that the finger points everywhere, but where it needed to point. He says, the woman that you gave me. First, he blames his wife. Then he tries to shift the blame onto God. And like Adam, when our wrongs are finally addressed and some sort of concrete standard is finally laid down, we desire to point the finger at anyone and everything else. I'm a victim. It's systemic. I deserve to be happy. But there's a generation that is pure in their own eyes, but they are not washed from their filthiness. No matter how hard human society seeks to define its own morality, there still is an objective standard. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When it was true as he walked this earth and spoke it, it's true Today, uh, Psalm 119 and verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Uh, It was not up for debate, but when it was breathed uh, and inspired out of the mouth of Almighty God, it was settled in heaven. Uh, It doesn't matter if I like it or dislike it. It doesn't matter if I follow it or don't follow it. It's settled. It is done. It is finished in heaven. Truth does not cease to be truth simply because it is temporarily unpopular. Truth does not cease to be truth simply because another side shouts louder. Truth is truth. uh, And morality is morality. It is not defined by society or by self. It's defined uh, by the Spirit of God uh, written down on pages for mankind for all of eternity. Truth still rings out whether or not it's accepted by uh, whatever context we live in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. See, there are some things that if we try to uncouple them from the word of God, uh, we can bend morality to whatever's convenient and comfortable for us. But we cannot escape the fact uh, that God created this thing uh, and God formed man out of the dust of the earth and God uh, formed woman out of the the side of man and God uh, brought them together, man uh, and wife together in marriage. We cannot escape the fact that God uh, knows in the womb every unborn child uh, from the moment of conception, from the moment that life enters in and they become a living soul, uh, that is still truth. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. Uh, There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We cannot escape the truth uh, of the commandment, be ye holy, for I am holy. See, this generation is deceived. They think themselves to be pure, but they're not washed from their own filthiness. 
We think ourselves to be morally enlightening, enlightened. Somehow we've achieved a higher plane of understanding, but it is a lie. Our righteousness is just a filthy rag. We are spotted uh, and our sins are many. There is only one standard of what is pure and right, and that is the word of God. Jesus prayed over his disciples in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Psalm 25 verse 3 says, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Uh, Teach me thy paths. Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? Uh, Not by turning to society. uh, Not by getting a a pat on the back and being told we're okay. uh, Not by numbing that conscience inside of us that God uh, is speaking and trying to bring us into right behavior. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Uh, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, uh, don't let me wander from thy commandments. Uh, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, there is a generation. There's a generation that's pure in their own eyes, but they are not washed from their filthiness. The next generation is this. Oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. In one short phrase, the writer describes and draws for us a mental picture very quickly. Their eyes are lofty, their eyelids are lifted up. They're looking down their nose. If this is not the aged then certainly it's near the top where mankind is so lost in our pursuit of self. Me, mine, my. We've let go of eternal life and true liberty in our pursuit of happiness. Technology and mass communication have allowed us to shout our opinions from digital mountaintops as if everybody must care what we think. It's the insidious sin of pride. We put our best out for the world to see, desiring their affirmation, even uh, desiring them to covet our perfect little homes, our perfect little families, and our perfect little lives. Our pride is evident in our lack of self-denial. If we want it, why shouldn't I have it? Uh, instead of asking if we need it, we ask, why can't I have it? What, what stands in the way of me possessing it? It has penetrated even within the church with our tendencies to flock to celebrity personalities and preachers, even as if our association with them somehow makes our lives more valuable to God. See, what we need now more than ever is a revival of humility. We need a revival of God uh, bringing us to a place uh, of a humble attitude and a humble heart. Uh, Oh, if we'll just humble ourselves in the sight of God, uh, he promises, he proclaims, I will lift you up. We need God to open our eyes to our self-promoting and self-preserving pride. Let me read for you what our example was from Philippians chapter 2. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. There's a clause that we should focus on a little bit. Uh, We're so concerned about our reputation, uh, about our name, and about what people think about us. We want to put forth uh, this perfect, flawless image, but Jesus didn't worry about his reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This is not how you build a following. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, uh, the father. You see, I I can't be so concerned about my reputation. I can't be so concerned uh, that my eyes begin to get lofty and lifted up. Uh, The moment my eyes are lofty and lifted up, the moment my eyes are missing out uh, on the mission that God has placed in front of me. Uh, He did not say, well done, thou good and faithful preacher. Well done, uh, good and faithful conference speaker. Well done, good and faithful massive Twitter following. Uh, Well done, good and faithful Instagram influencer. It was well done, uh, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, There was a servant at the end of that phrase. uh, And the moment my eyes are too lifted up uh, to live a life of service, uh, that's the moment I'm in the wrong generation. uh, And it's the moment my eyes have been removed from my example of Jesus Christ and they've been placed on this world. I don't want lofty eyes. Uh, I don't want eyelids that are lifted up. I don't want pride to get down in my heart. The psalmist said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And finally, whose teeth are as swords, their jaw teeth as knives, again from Proverbs chapter 30, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. God has an undeniable soft spot for the disadvantaged, for the poor, the afflicted, the widow, the orphan. Society has a blind spot, but God has a soft spot. Oh, I know, I know we've got government mandated taxes and we pat ourselves on the back like that's that's going to be it. But government can never mandate caring for the orphan and the widow like scripture can demand out of the depths of love from our heart. We do. See, if somebody has to suffer for us to gain wealth in America, so so be it. Even worse, with teeth as swords and jaws as knives, not only are our actions betraying us, but our words are as well. We're devouring the poor off the earth. We, we assume that somebody has greater value because they have a greater balance in their checking account, uh, but that is not so. We assume that somebody that has a nicer house uh, is more valuable, uh, but we're devouring as, with teeth as swords and jaws as knives. We're, we're chewing up and spitting out. We're just chomping down 
on the less fortunate. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15 says this, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. It relates back, I believe, to this lack of respect and this lack of honor. Be careful when you begin to devour. Be careful when you do not consider somebody else. Be careful when you are worried about me, mine, mine, and getting more than blessing somebody else because uh, the day may come that the shoe may be on the other foot and instead uh, those moments that you've bitten and devoured somebody else, you might now be consumed by somebody. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This generation has its problems. This generation has its issues. This generation has its shortcomings, as has every generation that has gone before. But there is inside of this generation a hunger. Psalm 24 and 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek Thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The answer to a generation that is consumed with self and pride is not to wring our hands and to vote better. The answer is not to accumulate more wealth. It's not to get more. It's not to insulate ourselves against the disgustingness of this world. But the answer for that generation is that this generation would seek God like never before. Like this generation would begin with pure hands and a pure heart that hasn't lifted up a soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. This generation should arise and begin to seek Him like no other generation ever has before. There is an answer to that generation and it's this generation. A people with a hunger for the presence of God. A people with a hunger for more of God. As the world gets crazier I refuse to sit back and wring my hands but I'm going to lift my hands towards heaven. I'm going to make sure that they're pure hands and they're holy hands and it's a pure heart and a righteous heart. I'm going to do the opposite of what this world champions as value and virtue uh, and I'm going to be a place uh, or I'm going to live in a place of servitude and humility. Uh, I'm going to live in a place where I'm desiring purity. Not my own definition uh, but God's definition of holiness and righteousness. Uh, And I am determining to plant my feet uh, and be a generation that is unashamed uh, of the promises of God. uh, A generation that is unashamed of the righteousness of God. uh, And what Does God say as we stand together in this place? He shall receive the blessing from the Lord 
and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, if you're going to stand with this generation of them that seek him, that seek his face, there's a blessing from the Lord that rests upon it. There's a cursing from this world, but there's a blessing from the Lord. Let's do exactly what verse 7 says as we dismiss this morning. Just for the next couple of moments, it says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. When we begin to seek Him, the King of glory steps into this place. In the next few moments, we're going to begin to worship him. We're going to praise him together. We're going to shout. We're going to dance. We're going to enjoy his presence. Uh, But we need to do what the writer proclaims that we must do. Uh, Let every man everywhere lift up holy hands uh, without wrath and doubting. Uh, And so in this place this morning, lift up your hands. Uh, Lift up your heads, this generation of them that seek him. Uh, And be lifted up. Uh, Open the door of your life. Uh, Open the portal of your mouth and let praise begin to come out. Uh, Open your heart to him uh, and the king of glory is going to come in. Uh, The king uh, of kings and the Lord of lords will usher into this place. Uh, Why? Because there's a generation of them that seek him, uh, that are seeking his face. Uh, I believe I'm standing in a room filled with people that are hungry uh, for the presence of God uh, like never before. They're hungry and desiring God to move uh, in a powerful way in this generation. Uh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Uh, Hallelujah. 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 The answer to a wicked generation is to be a generation that seeks his face like no generation that's gone before. Don't bemoan this world getting more wicked but then sit back and not go after God. You're not accomplishing anything. You're just frustrating yourself. But when you go after God like never before, those frustrations will melt away. Get your eyes back on Him and seek Him. You know, it was so good, I want to read it again couple of verses out of Peter and Romans. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Mm. I think we've got a ways to go. But God is good, and this is a generation of them that seek Him.